Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Conversations that gone off, which is repeated with Levitt. They talked about they don't want this NATO expansion. They know it's not in their security interest and on and on. And said, well, and if you do that, we may have to look to China. And I couldn't help using the colloquial expression from my state by saying to Zaganov, lots of luck in your senior year. Um, you know, uh, good luck. And if, not, if that doesn't work, try Iran. Um, and uh, I'm serious. I said that to them. And these were and, and, and they know. I knew. They knew. Everybody knows. That, that is not an option. And everybody knows, every one of those leaders acknowledges and needs, and they resent it. But they need, they need to look west. And the question is, well, this is designed to completely shut them out. Huh. <laughs> I mean, you know, oh. yeah, you know, I mean, you know, exactly. NATO expansion will force them to look into China. And good luck with that. No way that Russia and China and Iran will form an alliance, Matt. Because uh, Joe Biden said so back in 97. Mm-hmm. That didn't age well, did it? No, it didn't. We can no. talk that up to many things that didn't age well for the West. Yeah, no, I think he was still, uh, he probably had a little ghost of Zbigniew Brzezinski whispering advice in his ear. And, and I mean, that was around the same time that Brzezinski Grand also pointed out that the greatest possible impossible threat um, to, the, uh, to the emerging new world order would be a Russia- Iran, China coalition of nations and civilizations that would all resist uh, what he had spent his entire life bringing online on behalf of his handlers um, while he was, you know, steering the uh, the trilateral commission, putting, pouring U.S. money into creating Islamic terrorist groups throughout the 1980s and and everything beyond and, and cr- ushering in the neoconservatives under his watch like Dick Cheney and and Rumsfeld and others into uh, positions of influence. All of that could only come undone, as he himself said, if you had a Russia-China-Iran alliance, which Biden obviously <laughs> really, really did not have a lot of foresight uh, when he was speaking there in 1997. Because, I mean, now he, this is it. Like the, Any hope for humanity at this point is entirely because of that trifecta of civilizational forces. Correct. We're organizing not only military exercises jointly amongst the trio but also i I just read that the uh the iran eurasian economic union led by russia um free trade agreement is now uh, you can throw india into the mix in that one too Mm -hmm. yep so the four great civilizational powers 
are right now giving the insane lunatic chop off your kids' genitals west a run for its money. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? thought? I mean, I thought, you know, I thought the West is the best. I think the Proud Boys need to relabel themselves as Western chauvinists. (laughs) (laughs) So we got a lot to talk about. I mean, there's so many different things that that arose throughout the week. I don't know. Is there anything that... that, uh... Jumps off your your chest that you'd you'd like to address first before. Man, we... I, I I've been ranting and raving ever since I've been hiding under my desk since the Chinese spy balloon was flying over my house, and uh, I don't know if it was a spy balloon or they were having a birthday party down the down the street, and it happened to fly a balloon over my house. I, I'm not sure what it was, Matt, but I was terrified. I was hiding. I was uh, calling CJ for comfort. Uh, me and him were trying to cuddle together. We were both hiding under our desks, uh, holding hands, thinking it was the end of the world. And, uh, you know, and I realized, uh, you know, that our wives knocked on the door and said, hey, look, you guys coming out? There's there's food in the kitchen. And I'm like, oh, OK. And then we decided to come out and, you know, eat some uh, fresh, fresh baked chocolate chip cookies and look outside the window together. And we realized there, there's no Chinese balloon of death hanging over our heads. And it was a relief, Matthew. It was a relief. But all kidding aside, I want to talk about the most vaunted air defense network ever created. I want to talk about a military budget that is $900 billion. I want to talk about the greatest military that God has ever seen. You know, the military that won World War II, that won the Korean War, that won the Vietnam War, that won Gulf War I and II, that won in Iran, I'm sorry, Iraq, the one in Syria, that won in, in, in Libya, that won uh, in Afghanistan. I want to talk about that military and how they saw this balloon coming from hundreds of miles away. And our air defense networks, we can, which can shoot down Russian hypersonic missiles. Did you know that, Matthew? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Somehow uh, we, we missed this whole balloon thing, Matt. Well, it's weird. Like, I, if, if they're actually telling the truth, if, if the entire deep state establishment is actually telling the truth and they were caught off guard when this thing entered in from Canada into Montana, if that's all true then that is the biggest admission of the largest failure and breakdown oh, God. Of, uh, of military defensive systems, NORAD, everything, the early warning. Since system. 9-11. Since 9-11. Nothing, since 9-11. That was the last time that NORAD just stopped working was the morning of 9-11. That, that, was, the, that was the last time. Now, we have, now, now with the balloon attack, yeah. uh, moving at 20 kilometers an hour um, in from, from Canada, it took them four bloody days to move from the Kuril Islands zone in, uh, in the Pacific into Alaska, into American territory. That was in, on, I think it was January, uh, 30th or something. Yeah. And they didn't notice it while it went all the way over Alaska. And then it went all the way down through Canada. None of the early warning systems, none of the NORAD, nothing. Something worked. 200 foot in circumference. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can see it with your bare eyes. Uh, like the, you're admitting that this is that the U.S. is the most incompetent military defensive system in the world. That is supposed yes. to be the bedrock of NATO, the bedrock of the free Western alliance. None uh-huh. of that works. So nope. that's if they're telling the truth. Now the fact yep. is, uh, it's been two days now. They shot this thing down using probably deployed like a billion dollars of equipment to shoot they this did. balloon down. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and we've I. Like I, I was, I was on uh, press TV, and they were asking me my views, and I'm like, "Look, it's a weird story. It sounds like it came out of Doctor Strange Love, some satire from Stanley Kubrick. Um, it's, it's, it's really absurd, like Doctor Strange Love stuff." And uh, 
And they've, they've got now two days that they've had the material to do forensics to, say, to see if this really was as the Chinese, or if this was as, as Biden and, the, and the, the Warhawks are saying, a Chinese spy balloon, or whether or not the Chinese are correct in saying that, no, this is a, a civilian weather balloon that, that got pulled into an air, uh, an air current, and uh, w- which is correct. true, because you have the material, you've it done is. the forensics, you can talk now. If you've proven that that it is this military spy balloon, you can now prove it. Nobody does it. Of course, they're not going to. Nobody's going to talk about it because the evidence would basically demonstrate that the whole thing was a giant theater to turn a bunch of like loose-minded, soft-minded people who just want an enemy image into a fear-mongering rabble that don't know how to think about who's actually trying to destroy them, which it is not China. And China <laughs> even made the point that, look, you were we were told that Anthony Blinken just came out and he said, "Look, I'm not. I'm going to cancel my state visit to China in lieu of the or in in face of this obvious act of aggression." What's China's response? Well, you never told us you were coming. Exactly. <laughs> what is it? What is it? Anyway, why he's what? coming? Really? really? No. no. <laughs> you know what's so funny? it smells. It reeks of theater. It's it's all. Yeah. Now you know when I said. How believable it was when I said that I had a, a, a client of mine years ago, over a decade ago, who was in the nuclear forces in the United States, right, who told me straight up that he would be surprised if, if, if even 20% of our nuclear arsenal is even functional. He would be surprised. Yeah. Dude, and this is the country that is threatening nuclear war. Against a country that actually has functional, hypersonic, nuclear-capable missiles. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a level of surreality of that. Yeah, I'd I'd watched a uh, an analysis piece by I think it was Brian Berlitek, but I'm forgetting now who mm-hmm. who was just going through a bit of an assessment over the decrepit nature of the U.S. Uh, whether land-based, um, air-based or or sub- nuclear submarine forces you know it, only the submarine forces he made a point have some potential viability within to launch a dirty a dirty uh, attack under you know but not not to say that it would be the the way that the rand corporation utopians fixate and, and masturbate over regarding this idea that the u.s can win a first strike and, and have a, a nuclear dominance over their enemies both russia and china it's not like that it's like they could probably get some cheap shots in and carry out and cause damage to Eurasian countries, sure, but it wouldn't happen without a devastating retaliation utilizing the most advanced hypersonics. I mean, we're talking about missiles that can travel something like 26 times faster than the speed of sound that have been developed by Russia's um, defense forces and that are shared and are co-developed with China. Um, We're seeing, we're going to see a display of some of this capability very soon, I Interestingly enough, in Africa, in South Africa, which is is going to be carrying out on the anniversary of the the um, military operation in Ukraine, yeah. you're going to have a China Russia South African military exercise, which is wow. interesting. They're going to utilize these hyper hypersonics as well, which is freaking out Joseph Borrell, the racist himself, who's saying that look, Ch- Africa is. <laughs> he's such a racist you say africa is, sub- is 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 being victimized and manipulated by russian and chinese malign misinformation and he said yeah. that uh that that the africans are are very easily manipulatable and will believe anything that the russians throw at them 
And I mean, uh, right. Ravrov just responded beautifully by saying, look, this guy is clearly a racist. He he already gave a speech calling uh, his world in, in, in Europe, the garden being invaded by the jungle and that the gardeners have to go out and counter uh, into the jungle to bring order. He's he's like Borel is a it, it is a garden. It is a garden. Did you not know that? A garden of, of child mutilation. Yeah. A garden of of of, of uh, hormone blockers, puberty blockers. It's a garden of of three thousand genders, all sorts of sexual depravity. It's a garden where right now you have some minds that are in this garden that are contemplating uh, the virtue of cannibalism, right? It's a garden of euthanasia. It's a garden of high crime. It's a garden of decrepit and absolutely life-sucking art, where they call it art. It's absolutely filth. It's that kind of garden. So I think his whole concept of the, calling the other or the non-Western world the jungle is a little bit of projection, if I say so myself. Yeah, that's that's definitely an understatement. And I mean, if you just watch, I mean, I'm sure everybody by this time has watched some of the, the famous clips of un, from the unholy grammys that happened this week i mean just to see what like oh, yeah. what is the 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 epitome the, the the apex of current the current level of decay of western civilization just look at the grammys the thing that we're told we have to respect as being the expression of the greatest in the uh, the musical arts in the world or in representing western civilization and you literally have by like uh, non Binary Satanists, like yes. this guy, Sam, whatever he, he is, is well, actually airing out yeah. in front of an audience of like what looks to be a million people like throbbing to satanic, not even overtones, literal satanic themes. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a giant Luciferian operation. Um, so I'm sure that the Chinese and the Russians are just looking at things like the Grammys and just thinking like, yeah, we're, we're definitely on the right side of history. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yesterday there was a, a strike, a first strike that uh, that Americans are good at, um, especially a, I'd say about, you know, half the country is very adept at this. I'm going to show you their first strike capability. Uh, brace yourself. This is a, a first strike capability. Yesterday. January 6th like event that occurred, Matthew. I don't know if you knew that, but oh. it's just a protest. No, I did not know that. What is this? What? <laughs> this was in the state of Oklahoma where they passed a bill. No genital mutilation of children, no hormone blockers or therapies on, until the age of 21. And they're oh, getting that those, passed. So, so the, uh, oh yeah, so the, 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 the absolute inheritors of Western civilization, which are these, you know, pinko and, and blue-haired uh, far left commie, commie Nazi fascists decided to storm the Capitol because they are for sterilization of children. Because you know it's about keeping the jungle out, right? Oh, of course. 
yeah well you know every every little every child is a is a pollution machine um we know that that's uh and, and there's actually um Scientific American was running a whole series of these articles trying to scientifically justify why um, people should stop having children. And they were like, not, instead of treating human beings like they were humans, they were basically treating each human being. They're like, you could think of each human being as a baby, which looks all cute as actually something that will probably something right that will probably live about let's say 70, 80 years. Now, of course, they're not talking about their <laughs> their plans to uh, to give people euthanasia pills at, at 40. Uh, a la Logan's run, which is, I think, part of what the the soylent green greenists out there are are actually planning. But no, no, let's give them the benefit of the, benefit of the doubt, and we assume that they expect these babies to live till eighty. And they're saying, well, you could also see these things as during that time um, producing something like five thousand tons of carbon dioxide and eight hundred tons of uh, methane and all of these like variables that are all supposedly these destructive variables that imply that we are, of course, a cancer. Now, at the same time, you have also um, TED Talks and other other um, bio, socio, whatever you want to call them, uh, social engineers who are coming out writing articles on big think and, and, and talking about how we can now use CRISPR technology, which has emerged out of the Human Genome Project, which they want to bring online as far as um, creating these test tube babies, which we could feasibly grow a new a new um, race of a new generation of human test tube babies that will on average be about 25% the size of your typical average human being today. Wonderful. Um, in order to save something like, you know, 80, um, 80 tons of- Isn't that sick? Isn't that sick? Time. <laughs> and here's the sickness. If you go back to the garden, how the garden was in the Middle Ages, right? Yeah. Everybody in the garden, you either were a, a lord or a serf. And mm. what was the difference between lords and serfs? The lords could eat meat. They could hunt. They owned the land. They could hunt the, 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 the animals there. They could eat whatever fruits they want. And then the serfs ate low-grade nutrition, typically like oat and grain bars and, and, and whatnot that are not so easily digestible, Okay. And then what happened is the serfs were always 25%, and this is a fact, 25% smaller than the lords and the nobility. Mm. So isn't it funny that these people are already saying 25, which is a number back in the Middle Ages that the serfs were. They were 25% smaller. And it went like this until we had a great equalizer, which was called the, 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 the Black Death. The plague swept through. And and finally created a middle class because they're like, nah, I'm not gonna work, you know. You you, yeah. you lost most of your workers. You want me to work? You don't have to pay me. Yeah. And so that and then that's basically what it was. But 25 percent is not a number that these people just simply randomly make up. It is the desire of Western oligarchs to go back to that. They desire that World Economic Forum desires to usher us into a neo feudalism, a techno neo feudalism is what they want. Yeah. Well, you know, it's true. Like if people have any doubts of what you just said, um, it's a fact that if you look at these old preserved buildings um, from villages in the uh, 15th, 16th centuries, that you will hit your head um, walking into any of them unless you bend down to, to walk in. Uh, there are now these, you know, uh, memorial sites and things like that that have been, uh, or heritage sites. But yeah, they're, they're, the average person was, as you pointed out, um, significantly shorter due to the lack of available calcium from cows and meat from chicken and cows and other things. You, like this stuff has 
an effect on causing our bones to be stronger, healthier, our bodies to grow uh, taller. Of course, if you inject a little bit too many GMO hormones as we have under the Monsanto age, you can get abnormally large people um, with God knows what kind of long-term effects. And that's, that's in the other extreme. But all that to say, um, these creeps, and including like Bill Gates, I, somebody made a point to, to me this week, you know, Bill Gates has become the world's, uh, America's top farm farmland owner. And yet he's now putting out writings and messaging on his social media accounts and other things, uh, celebrating the need to get off of eggs, to, to eliminate eggs from our diet, oh, yeah. utilizing these new synthetic lab-grown fake yolks and eggs that he thinks are, are going to replace the old school eggs, which should, should go extinct. Um, it's like, well, if you were really in it for the, for the money, cause people say, Oh yeah, all of these guys running the, uh, the conspiracies to, to manage our society, the Davos click and all this, they're, they're all in it for the money. And it's like, well, if it was really for the money, you think that they would produce more food that they've gone out of their way to spend all of this money, buying real estate, buying agricultural land, You'd think they would now take that in order to produce things to make money, but they're yeah. not. They're actually shutting it down. So maybe it's not money that they've ever really, really wanted. Maybe they just yeah, they, money they print all the fake it. money there is. So they they don't need the money. It's the, it's the power. It's the control. And for the the, the tech, for the techno neo feudalists, the ultimate control is calling the Western population. They they wanted to do the whole you know world population, but you know China and Russia throw a big monkey wrench into that. So now yeah. it's just uh, the the Western idiots realizing the the sick bastards that they are have nowhere to turn because the rest of the world's not buying their bullshit. So they're selling it to the majority of the Western population. The majority of the Western population have been cucked. They've been deballed. They've been uh, you know chemically lobotomized through decades and decades of chemicals within the food, the drinking water, and whatnot. And now you have a, a pretty compliant population. And I think the greatest shock for me was. 2020 when the whole pandemic went down how so many people just laid down a lot of their freedoms to be run over it's incredible so this is so this this is where they're hoisting it to it's it, yeah. you know and some some you know regions and places are fighting it uh, better than others and i will god only knows how this will end in the west yeah, no, I, I, you're right. I, I mean, that that is the biggest problem culturally is that people have been made they've been rendered so culturally soft soft-minded soft morally that they don't know how to think with a clear head about the causes of their problems for the most part obviously i'm not speaking to everybody there's obviously exceptions but i mean i'm just saying that the cultural problems that we adapted to this mediocrity um thinking that it was normal to be able to live in a world that you don't produce you that you could consume without producing and the second we started accepting that lie, which was never true, because obviously if you're going to consume, which we obviously have to do, and we obviously have to do it if we're going to have more people, then we have to we have to produce more. We can't we should be consuming more. We should be consuming higher quality things as we live longer, of course. Um, but at the same measure, and I'm not saying, you know, we should have four or five, six meals a day. I just mean that we in the course of a, of a life as far as volume, yeah, consumption will go up as far as living, having more people, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing having more people because that's more potential geniuses to contribute, to make discoveries, to contribute back into the cultural field of humanity. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Uh, but obviously that's going to, that's going to mean we consume more as a system, as volume, but that means you have to produce also not just more, but better quality at, at the same time as you're doing that. So we just severed ourselves from that natural um, fact of history 
in the early 1970s. And we've allowed ourselves to just adapt and adapt and accept this, this absurd way of life, thinking we could just be a services economy, having ideas and having like dark people we don't look at manage the mines that produce the lithium, the cobalt, the, the iron ore and other things that we don't have to think about when we're using child labor, paying people maybe a dollar a day um, as not free, uh, I mean, sorry, not, not enslaved cheap labor but in fact i mean these if these people who have been getting 75 cents to a dollar a day in indonesia or in africa or wherever else for the cheap goods that we've been consuming if they actually wanted a higher standard of living they would thus also be required to receive a higher quality pay um which we cannot allow because that would break the entire model of what we've become dependent on like a drug addict society so we've been forced to keep them down and not only down at a fixed level, but ever more increasingly down to, you know, have ever more cheap goods flowing in. That, of course, now is completely breaking down as dollar stores that we, you know, should never have existed have now become five dollar stores. I went to the dollar store the other day. I had to buy a, a little uh, anyway. Uh, and uh, they're now they now have five and six dollar items in the, in the so-called dollar store. Um inflation is just completely taking off, you know, like everything is the whole formula only worked for a very small period of time of a few decades. And now it's breaking down, we've printed more money than there are than there are atoms in the sun. And so of course, of course, money is losing its value, it's buying power on top of the fact that we're obviously shutting down the supply, the supply chain. It was already bad before COVID. This is just accelerated and doubled it down. And people can now see that, you know, farming depots and egg sent egg farms and, and everything that is kind of productive so grain silos or have all been sabotaged. It seems like you have some form of, uh, of eco-terrorism that's been on, you know, unleashed now for the past two years, um, making sure that it's going to be that much harder to feed the people of, of the West while at the same time, energy of the once abundant and still could be easily abundant modern energy forms of energy, uh, and fuel are all being shut down in uh, under the guise of uh this new war with with big bad russia who we have to all be afraid of all of a sudden um they're creating scarcity and that's the thing it gets back to this question of a restoration of feudalism they they want to create the type of scarcity conditions and they want to destroy the creative powers that are natural in human beings who would normally see scarcity and Think about solution concepts that they then apply to overcome scarcity. That's what humans do when they're being creative, loving, not afraid of the future. That's what that's our natural impulse. That's why they they don't like too many people because they don't like too many opportunities for those types of new thoughts to break the nice controlled limits to what the feudal serfs are allowed to think and 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 you know move within. So it's it is just that it's feudalism that they want to bring about for sure. Yeah, without a doubt, man. It's uh, it's incredible to to witness this, uh, Matt. Let's get into Turkey. Okay, let's get into this uh, this whole model. I mean, the the fact that we can't stop balloons that are two hundred feet in diameter, we can't see it until it's right on top of us. And you know, you made mention before we went live uh, a gentleman who predicted this Turkey earthquake three days out to the T before it even happened, while everybody else was saying no, 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 because I guess they were too fixated on the balloon. And now you have this earthquake in Turkey. And Turkey also plays a very important geopolitical, geostrategic role uh, that is emerging in this in this multipolar world. So it's pretty remarkable to see. Uh, what are your what, 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 
what do you let's get into that matt let's yeah. let's unpack that for a little bit sure yeah i mean it, it is an absolute tragedy what has happened yeah. in turkey yeah. but just like the current collapse the shock front the 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 earthquake the shock wave which like the earthquake that induces a tsunami um is slamming in economically into western civilization under undermining the actual foundations of what little we have to work with to rebuild and reconstruct something good that shock wave is hitting and it, it it should have been totally predictable and for people who were thinking in a sort of natural mode um this was predictable this was you know people like Lyndon LaRouche was talking about this back in the 70s uh, describing exactly the contour and the shape of this this oncoming shock front um, if we didn't make certain systemic changes. Other people were also following suit. The same thing for this earthquake in Turkey. It, sh it was completely foreseeable. There, there was one, I mean, for the, the official st statisticians and mathematical computer modelers who have dominated the earthquake seismology forecasting um, uh, departments, over the past couple of decades, especially, they didn't see it. They were all surprised, just like the modern economists um, at the IMF and World Bank and Wall Street were all shocked uh, whenever these economic systemic crises happened. They never predicted it. Their, their, their computer models didn't allow its existence, the possibility in, because they, they all use the same false way of thinking. And it's a way of thinking, which is designed to be wrong, based upon the idea that you could take linear trends of the past and extrapolate those trends into the future mathematically um, in the utilizing statistical probability theory. It, that is incompetent. It might be useful for knowing what the weather is going to be tomorrow, but as far as anything that involves an actual systemic boundary condition, it is more than useless. So this is what they've been doing. This is why nobody was able to see in the mainstream seismology community that this um, earthquake was going to slam into central Turkey and Syria. However, uh, because what are they doing? They're they're basically saying, okay, we need to um, use what's called elastic rebound theory. That's the only thing every anybody who wants to be published or be respected or have a job in in uh, peer reviewed journals or universities and uh, consider themselves geologists, they have to all worship this this thing called elastic rebound theory. This just simply means it's the it's a it's a it's a primitive plate tectonics assumption about how earthquakes happen based upon the idea that, you know, you have pressure buildup under the surface in the mantle and that that pressure um, creates a tension, which by over time increases a probability that the tension will pop and you'll have this elastic rebound, this, this, this sort of springing back resulting in what we call earthquake. Now the 7.5 and um, there was actually three earthquakes. Turkey got hit by 7.8 early in the morning when a lot of people were asleep. That's when most of the deaths happened. Then there was a 6.5 earthquake. And then there was another 7.5 earthquake um, later on in the afternoon. So three back to back. It, it killed over 4,000 people. About 1,000 in Syria as well have been killed by this thing. Uh, billions of dollars of property damage, infrastructure damage. There's one figure, as I pointed out in, um, in our conversation before the show, a Dutch scientist by the name of uh, Frank uh, Frank Hugerbeets, and he created a Dutch-based um, organization, self-funded. It couldn't get any government funding, uh, called the Solar System Geometry Survey, and he be he went viral because he put out a tweet three days before this this particular uh, um, disaster, and in this tweet he clearly says, um, I actually wrote it down here, um. 
Uh, he says, sooner or later, there will be a magnitude 7.5 earthquake in this following region of South Central Turkey, Jordan, Syria, and or Lebanon. He said that three days on February 3rd before the Feb this, this thing hit. Now, what's interesting, and so people are all like wondering how this, how this guy was able to do it. When you go to his website and you look at what his method is, first of all, the thing that strikes you is that um, he is utilizing what's called astroclimatology and astroseismology. So he is looking at the entire solar system as one system. He's not using this stupid bottom-up motive of analysis where you have to assume that everything arises just from like gravity causing mass to build up tension that then will you know, bl blow at some point using statistical probabilities. He doesn't use that. He's saying, okay, that what he's looking at, and, and this guy wasn't just right on this one forecast. He's got a giant track record. He began doing this in 2014. And he has been right hundreds of times in his forecasts. Now, what he's looking at is the... The, geom the geometric aspects of the relationships of the various planets to each other and to the sun, as and the moon plays a big role. And he's just simply saying that, look, the first thing to, to get over mentally is that stopping people from predicting successfully earthquakes or volcanoes, which are tied to earthquakes, very, very similar process, is the belief that there is such a thing as empty space with things called masses pulling and pushing, utilizing things like gravitational forces, very abstract ideas. That, first of all, is, is an illusion. The reality is that what we have when we look at the solar system is a dense environment. It's, a, it's an electric conducting environment that is densely filled everywhere, between planets, between stars. It's all saturated and filled with plasmas that conduct electrical currents that are shaped by magnetic fields, which are being emitted by not only, especially the sun, shaping the environment of the solar system that emits not only coronal mass ejections, there's solar wind, there's a lot of, of what's called solar weather shaping the environment of the earth, right? Which we know has certain direct correlations um, in terms of um, weather systems on the earth, El Nino, uh, web, you know, all sorts of factors on the earth are directly impacted by this. It's being moderated by things like the earth's ionic ionosphere. The, 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 um, it's like 600 kilometers of plasma ionized plasma around the earth, which is what allows for radio signals, magnetic, um, I'm not sorry, magnetic, uh, microwave, um, um, background radiation within the earth. This is what allows this to move around is this ionosphere. And this ionosphere is blocking. It, it's filtering a lot of the more destructive inter, intergalactic cosmic radiation. But this is constantly being emitted. Coronal mass ejections are coming out from the sun. It takes them about seven minutes to arrive to the earth. And then they come in generally through the, the poles. We, we see it visually in the form of the aurora borealis. That's cosmic rays and solar, uh, you know, uh, emissions that are coming through into the earth that are getting Im immersed into the biosphere um, as they move through uh, the earth. They, they seed, they seed low level clouds that, that creates a stabilizing influence over heating and cooling. That's where clouds actually come from. The low level clouds that are the driving force of climate change, not CO2 it's clouds. And the way the clouds are created is through the, the cosmic rays see that, that see that 
that create a sort of charge when they pass through the uh, the molecules of the atmosphere, seeding in, and then creating nucleation that build up in the form of clouds that then absorb more liquids and, and vapors from the earth that then rain down as part of the water cycles. That's all, that's all, that's none of that stuff is caused by anything within the earth. But on top of that, you have forces deep within the earth as well. Things that we, we don't even barely know. I mean, we scratch the surface of the mantle, the mantle 60 kilometers is mantle of the, what is it? 4,000, it goes, it, there's another 2,000 kilometers, sorry, 60 kilometers is, is, is the crust of the earth, like the, the skin of the apple. Then below the crust, which we've only gotten down 14 or 15 kilometers, it's 60 kilometers in total. We have barely scratched the surface of that. Then you have 2,000 kilometers of mantle. Then another 2,000 kilometers of, they say, core. We don't even know. We, I mean, it's all speculation. What, you know, what type of substance? Is it crystals? Is it whatever? We don't even know what's in the earth. It's all people guessing. But this is directly interfacing with the sun. It's interfacing also with every planet. So every planet is not only absorbing these these radio waves from the sun, magnetic um, cosmic rays. It's not only abs absorbing the the microwaves and the X rays being emitted from the sun, but they're also emitting themselves. So like Venus, Saturn, Mars are also emitting signals. Each one with its own signature. Um, every moon is is has both a reception antenna, but also an emission function, emitting magnetic uh, signals to its own environment, as well as the broader, subtle, uh, you know, um, system that it's a part of. We don't know fully the effects. We know that the climate change going on on different planets is definitely influenced by this. We know that uh, Earth is also emitting. So there's a, a given receive, kind of like you have an electric uh, transmitters in an electric circuit. And this is how uh, Frank uh, Hoogerbeats looks at the galaxy that he is evaluating. He thinks of it and understands it the correct way. That's exactly what it is. Um, and then from that standpoint, he's like saying, well, look, all, the first thing he looks at when he's going to make a forecast about a prediction of what is going to be a likely place to see a, a large earthquake is going to be the the um, planetary geometries or the solar geometries, meaning um, are there conjunctions or oppositions when you have planets in alignment? Why is that important? It's not for, for because he's an astrologer. It's because he's simply saying that when the planet, when you have an alignment of planets, either one or several that create a sort of configuration within the solar system, what you have is um, the, the, the frequencies the, the wavelengths, just like we see in electrical currents, can amplify. And you could blow out a, an electric circuit when you have an amplification of common currents that are that are in conjunction with each other. We see it also in, the, in, in everything which involves harmonics. Certain frequencies like people walking at a, uh, on a bridge, right? This is why soldiers crossing bridges have been taught to syncopate their march when they're walking over the bridge because what's happened for a lot of bridges over the years is that they've they've collapsed when you have too many um soldiers walking in sync it causes an amplification of the signal resulting in bridges just killing people um so we, we have all sorts of examples like that and it, it this definitely occurs for light waves which is a function of electromagnetism is light but it EM is, is very big, goes all the way up into gamma waves, but it goes all as far as very short, short uh, frequency, uh, wavelength frequencies is gamma waves. You know, then you also have light slightly longer as you get into X-rays. Then you have infra, uh, ultraviolet, which is still outside of the visual light spectrum. And then you start seeing 
you know, purple is start, starts becoming visible for this tiny little bandwidth of visible light all the way down to red. And then you start losing the visual sensitivity as we get into infrared heat, which also is being emitted by, you know, various planets and everything else, obviously. And then you start going into microwaves, radio waves, and very long waves that can easily even just pass right through the earth. We don't know most of this. We've only recently discovered that this even exists like a little over a century ago. So um, for people who talk about like, you know, exactly what's inside the sun, how it works, what's inside the earth, it has this much core, that's where lava comes from. All of this stuff, it's all make-believe. I mean, we're still in a world where people have been led to believe that water is something which just got on the earth because of asteroids pummeling it into the earth millions of years ago, bringing with them crystals or ice, which is where all of today's water comes from, which is like the, the, the evidence points to the fact that the earth is actually generating water within it from processes yeah. we don't understand, just like oil. Um, Correct. Abi it's, oh, it, both water and oil is abiotic. It's produced from within. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but Matt, Neil deGrasse Tyson told me otherwise. Oh my He's God. He's a yeah, genius. Bubblegum, right? Just bubblegum yeah. science. It's stupid. It's sticky, dumb. And, uh, but so, you know, real scientists like this guy, um, who, again, I, I've just had the pleasure of encountering since this, this Turkey disaster and, and looking into his research. He's got a track record. It is magnificent track record. And he's working with an, an international network of similar like-minded um, forecasters who are all looking at the broader electromagnetic environment and precursors, um, making the point that it's still an early science, but it's been uh, sort of crushed and sabotaged in the cradle for the past century. There were there's there's published scientific articles from the 1940s and 50s. Uh, whereby real scientists, real electrical engineers working for RCA records were actually trying to figure out how do you better forecast solar storms, things that are going to, that will always disrupt radio signals. And they were being, that's where a lot of the, the pioneering frontier science was happening, not from the pure physics community, but from the electrical engineers. Um, and they were publishing their findings, discovering, and, and you could read some of these articles that Frank um, uh, Hoogerbeats has on his website where they were, they were pointing out that, look, um, at these different geometric aspects, um, you, you will tend to get either clearer electromagnetic signals or, or worse, and even linking that to, to weather phenomenon, severe storms, um, earthquakes, and making predictions that were very successful. I'm not going to go into any names. It's going to be in an article I'm writing, but there are several of them who were exceptional and had successful forecasts all the way up through the 1960s, late 60s, of like a 93% success rating um, on severe storms and and uh, and earthquakes. Um, and this was all sabotaged. So what, I mean, today, again, when you look at the this international, they call them fringe scientists. They don't get government funding. They're mostly self-funded or, or from certain private sectors, people like Sergei Polinets. Oh, that's him, Frank Huberbeats, yeah. Uh, Sergey Polinets, uh, there, there's there's a variety. Uh, Professor uh, Biaggi of um, a major university in Italy. There, there's a whole there's a whole group, and but but they're looking at things like okay, they're they're saying that all of the big earthquakes, the worst like seven seven and higher earthquakes, and magnitude seven is very high, but it's exponentially increasing. So it's not like an arithmetic increase of like. A, a, a seven is only arithmetically more worse than a five and is only a little bit less worse than an eight. It's like a geometric increase. It's, it's, it's like a thousand times worse 
to have a seven than a than a six. And and same thing for an, an eight, a magnitude eight earthquake versus a seven. But the way that these are are actually have been predicted, and most of them have been, unfortunately, what we've found, or most of them have been predictable, but we found sadly because they're so understaffed that whether it's the 1989 big uh, San Francisco earthquake in the San Francisco Bay Area or the uh, the the 1990s uh, uh, 8.8 earthquake in India, no, that was 2001, or the Taiwanese earthquakes or the Japanese earthquake in 2011 uh, that resulted in 20,000 deaths due to the tsunami. Uh, or the Hoover Beach is uh, predicting a, a major quake to hit India next. Okay, well, yeah, I think yeah. people should pay damn attention to that guy. Um, the Haiti earthquake that killed 250,000, what we found is that there have been precursors that were only found in hindsight because people then were saying, well, okay, we didn't do anything to save these lives. Let's look into the, uh, the, 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 the data available. And what has tended to be the case is that, just like Hoogerbeets looks at these things too, but it's, it's ionospheric density. The ionosphere is always where we see days in advance before a major earthquake we tend to find an, an increased flux of electrons that accumulate over the uh, the zone that will be this, the epicenter of an earthquake. Almost, you see this statistically a, a high amount of time. Now, if we had people staffing the devices that were taking these measurements of the ionosphere to read them and see the anomalies, then you could easily have a messaging system that could get people out of a fragile environment and save a lot of lives, but you don't. So it's all been hindsight. Another thing has been, um, radon being emitted in areas that will soon get hit by an earthquake. Um, day, again, days in advance, you have radon being emitted from the groundwater and into the earth as another precursor. You have infrared emissions that can create a, between a two to five degree heating above zones like in, in Japan in 2011, which, which, could also be used as another precursor and not a single one is is foolproof sometimes things happen there's radon increases or ionospheric density uh, electron density increases in the ionosphere that don't result in, in an earthquake so it doesn't mean it's always going to happen and sometimes earthquakes happen sometimes without all of these things happening together so but the problem is people have become so narrowly focused in in thinking in a very myopic um reductionist <laughs> manner they don't see a whole they've been mentally castrated from appreciating a whole systems as systems and thinking about multiple parameters at the same time part of it is the destruction of classical music in our civilization where people who listen more to classical music were training their minds to think about multiple different voices doing counterpoint doing different things like listen to a symphony there's like you know 1830 different voices instruments moving at the same time, each individually sounding nice, but you put them together and it creates a whole that's more than the sum of its parts. And the more one trains the mind to think in those terms, the more um, scientific creative uh, powers also increase because you could think about how things that seem dissimilar and disconnected are actually um, affecting something you're trying to figure out in the realm of the unknown. That's very valuable. And uh, and it's, it's become sort of undermined in the mushiness of our, you know, we we're talking about the, what happens when you go into a, a consumer society lot. That's one of the things culturally that your music, your, your cultural standards sink into mediocrity as well, where we just want repetitive beats, repetitive rhythms that don't encourage the, the, the cultivation of development of the mind of, mu of multiple voicings.
in an organized fashion that could be used for for discoveries and insights. And that's Frank. That's yeah, Frank right there doing another forecast in January. Yeah, 29th. Yeah, this is about the the Indian prediction. Here we go. Yeah, but it's like, it's, it's real quick. Oh, volume. Okay. Yep. Again, a purple band here over Asia from Lake Baikal in the north down to the Indian Ocean. Uh, that has been in on the radar uh, for several days now. And uh, also to the west, purple band, and that marks the region from Afghanistan uh, over Pakistan. Uh, into the western part of the Indian Ocean, and we see India right in the middle. Interestingly, we're already seeing uh, magnitude 5.8 right in between in China. And if we count six days, we would end up around the fourth. And these areas could be uh, a candidate for larger seismic activity if we look at the atmospheric fluctuations. But again, keep in mind, these are rough estimates, and not all larger earthquakes uh, leave a footprint in the atmosphere. They do not announce themselves all. We picked up a couple of fluctuations. And there you go. Okay, so what happened the day later on January 30th, in uh, yeah. exactly where you said, in South uh, Xinjiang, uh, West China, right north in North India? Yep. January 30th, there was a 5.8 earthquake that hit Bingo. exactly a day later. Yep. So... That's incredible accuracy. It's scary. He's scary good. Yeah. He's wow. And, but he makes it so intelligible, right? Like, it's the reason yeah. why he's... And he's under a lot of attack. There, There's, like, disclaimers. If you post or share something by him at this point, you get this automatic, even on Twitter, um, you get these disclaimers saying, this is not a science. This is just a pseudo blah, blah, blah. Um Ignoring the fact that this guy has got hundreds of successful similar forecasts and is making his method very transparent. He's a very dangerous character in that sense for the oligarchy because he's he's showcasing a healthy... He's not just criticizing what's wrong. He's showcasing a healthy, natural mode that is accessible to everybody. Even if you don't have PhDs, you could still build up an a workable, functional understanding Using um, somebody says Frank who it's Frank, uh, uh, Frank Hooger beats, Hooger beats, yeah, Hooger beats. Well, isn't it funny though? It's like you know anybody who's not a PhD or has some official title or degree, it, you know they're they're looked at as the enemy, right? Because I mean, again, we're talking about a, a feudalism. Who, who ensured the feudalism? Well, it was the bloody Catholic Church, right? The Catholic Church ensured that the Bible remains locked up in Latin, which was a problem because nobody spoke Latin at that time, except for the high priests and the educated class and the nobles, right? Mm -hmm. But the average poor person didn't, and it was the democratization of the Bible via the printing press that was able to break free and destroy much of the, 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 uh, the intellectual hold that the, uh, this, neo, this whole feudalism had over people, man. So it's, it's the same thing. Oh, we can't listen to this guy. You know, he he doesn't have a PhD in climatology, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. The same thing, man. Same playbook. Well, who was it? It was, uh, um, oh, there's a really good, actually, an inch, one of the few interesting documentaries on Netflix is called uh, Kiss the Ground. And mm -hmm. 
there's a uh, Alan Savory. He's a, a a wonderful scientist in in this film, and it's talking about um, desert, rec- basically uh, greening deserts. How do you how do you take unfertile uh, soil and bring massive biodiversity, utilizing very natural techniques? And uh, Alan Savory has a little video where he makes a point that the, the PhD system has become a modern priesthood, yeah, um, akin to what you just said of the medieval times. And he made he he stated, look. It's always the case that the best cutting edge discoveries that are the the like the paradigm shifting big discoveries never happen within a certain field of specialization. It always happens outside of it by people who are more flexible. And he gives the example of the greatest candle maker of the, you know, the, the 16th, 17th centuries could not have conceptualized the light bulb that had to ha- that you couldn't have the bet. You know, it didn't happen. It wasn't some linear extrapolation. From the from just making better and better candle wicks and waxes to all of a sudden getting a light bulb that required people completely uncontaminated by the, the the specialization field of light light emissions to do that. Um, so it's always it's always going to be the case that today, like the biggest breakthroughs in fusion power, are not happening from the fu- the fusion trained uh, physicists. It, the, the the biggest discoveries in climatology are not happening from the climatologists. They have all been indoctrinated into a system of self self flattering, uh, peer reviewed journals, which only produce publish papers that they permit according to anonymous anonymous experts, aka priests. Um, if you ab- abide by certain core assumptions that are permitted within the system, if you question certain fundamental dogma, and it is doctrine and dogma then you will not be published. You will not get a position. You'll, if anything, get, you'll lose your job if you get too um, unwieldy with your freedom of thought within the specialized uh, fields. And this also includes economy. Um, economic forecasting is incompetent because of this. And it's like, if you just look at economy from the standpoint of first, not presuming that, um, that money has intrinsic value because people want it, don't assume that. First, look at human beings and what it is that we require to live. If you look at that first, which every child can do, you know, every every five year old kid can think about the these basic elementary concepts that master's degree economists are. It's it's trained out of them, which is like, okay, you have five people in an area. You need a certain amount of food to sustain those five people, right? If you have 10 people, you need more food if you have, right? And in that sense, if you have a, a number of people that requires a minimal amount of production, of food, of energy to make the work happen, um, if you if you have all of those appreciations and, as well as the, the question of like, well, what are the boundary conditions uh, caused by our absence of technology, our, our ignorance of uh, certain discoveries we should have made? Or how those boundary conditions are made better, bigger. We can sustain more people potentially when we introduce new technologies, when we encourage new discoveries. All of a sudden, constraints become loose. We can we can grow into that space that we create for ourselves by the introduction of a higher standard of excellence and new discoveries. Right, in, engaging in third, fourth generation fusion power technology, the way the Chinese are putting all of their resources or so much more than we are, into making the leap into utilizing thorium, molten salt thorium reactors, into fast breeder reactors, along with India and Russia, 
um, that basically create more energy after a cycle of energy is used up than they started with. Because part of the fast breeding process um, involves creating both heat to do work, but also you're creating your 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 um you're creating fissile um uranium which would formerly have been useless because they're absorbing all of the the useless uranium that you're you're wrapping around your your fissile heated core of radiation is now receiving excess neutrons which as soon as the neutrons embed within the nucleus of these these atoms of, of uranium they then change from 233, uh, 232 or 233 into something which is super fissile and radioactive. And then by the end of that, that first fuel cycle process using a fast breeder reactor, you now have three, four, five more times more fuel to put back into the system and do it all over again. So it's, it's, it's the very opposite of um, limited or finite resources. You're creating more. And then on top of that, you're creating so much more momentum energy-wise to make a springboard a leap into the new phases of fusion power, um, utilizing helium, uh, helium three, utilizing you know deuterium tritium reactions, whatever you want to do. There's so many pathways, and China's putting their their eggs in all of the baskets. They're not just putting everything into let's say one or two like to tokamaks or or some one type of laser fusion. They're putting it in everything, as well as tying it to a space program with Russia, which, according to the actual heads of the Chinese space agency are tied directly to utilizing the helium-3 deposits on the far side of the moon, which are abundant. There is like an estimated tens of billions of tons, I said billions, millions of tons of helium-3 that are deposited over millennia by the sun. And because the, the moon doesn't have a magnetic field, it just receives all of this helium-3 and it slowly accumulates. One truckload of helium-3 is sufficient to, to sustain seven or eight billion people at a high quality of life for a full year, one truckload. Now the Chinese, that's why they planted themselves on the far side of the moon. And they have a, a program with Russia by 2030 to begin construction of a full-time uh, moon base with a focus also on mining the moon um, for the next generation fuel sources. So, I mean, they're not talking about getting off of, of um, hydrocarbon, uh, you know, fuel the way the, the the way the Western sustainability fanatics are talking about it. They are talking about doing that eventually, and they 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 obviously intend to get eventually off of coal and and oil at some point. That is an intention. Does that mean that they're into the green depopulation agenda? Is the way the way some people in the alternative media community just simply see? Oh, they like sustainable. And Klaus Schwab says sustainable with the UN Devel sustainable development goals. So it's the same thing. They're all in on it. It's like no, they've actually got a program to get off of it. By by doing these things, having hyper hyper industrialization, increasing the abundance of their food food production, going to Africa and to other poor countries that have been abused by colonialism, and offering them the means of doing this as well, which is why Africa is recognizes you know the, the racism of a of a Borrell, a Biden, or an Ursula von der Leyen, and they they recognize that there's something that they can they they see as authentic that they want to work with by and large with Russia and China. And uh, they're doing it with an outlook towards expanding our knowledge of the macrocosm as well as the microcosm together, right? Penetrating breakthroughs in the atom and the, the science of the, the, the universe in the small that, can, that allows the release of vast amounts of energy when you tap into it, along with a, a penetration into the secrets of the, of the macrocosm. 
um, by doing the space program and nuclear program at the same time, right? It's it's part of one process to, to end poverty, to pull people out of squalor, to end the situation of divide and conquer tactics, whether it's the Belt and Road in Syria or Africa or wherever else, they're actually creating a situation of finding common interest, which are what the United States used to do. When you look at how JFK was thinking about unleashing the space program, he was also unleashing um, massive government invent, uh, uh, sponsored investments into nuclear power and fusion with a focus on fusion rockets, plasma rockets. That was all the, the, the Minerva, uh, space program was hugely was created entirely by JFK in order to get, um, actual explorations, not just to go to the moon and that that's it, but JFK says it himself in his speeches so that by the end of the millennium, you could expect to see a, a human economy that stretches in its influence all the way beyond Mars, the moons of Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, but all the way to Pluto. I mean, we could feasibly be a species which is tied to the infinite, which is the universe as far as we could tell. Although, again, you know, the, the statistical computer modelers have also taken over the, the cosmology departments and physics where they say, oh, yeah, the universe is finite because it, we discovered that it was created 3.7 billion years ago. And thus, we can also know that it has external boundary conditions outside of which there is no universe, which we're, which we're growing into. And after which, because everything that has an, a beginning has to have an end, we could say that there's going to be um, a heat death at a certain moment at this you know time, linearly extrapolated into the future. And it's like, whoa, where did you even assume that that 13.7 billion years ago was the beginning, this Big Bang moment that we say happened how do we know that what what is the we, we made it up they made it up they made it up it, 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 when you look at scientists in the current i'd say the last 20 30 years at least it's literally no different from a think tank it is to sit there and have circle jerk sessions where they concoct fantastical fantasies and juxtapositions and theories that have no bearing on actual reality rather than testing the already established theories, the already established uh, uh, realities that are already in place and to expand on that even further. There really is no advancement, man. It's incredible to witness this. No, it's a regression. Like they've gone yeah. back to effectively the sort of scholasticism that was dominant in the medieval era when people it were is. like arguing about like how many angels can fit on a dance on a pinhead of a needle. Um, or, or, you know, like at what moment 6,000 years ago was the earth formed out of some like proto big bang, which is what, you know, and people were having these pseudo scientific debates about this. Um, it's sort of like this, it's just, instead of it being 6,000 years ago, when some, when everything was created out of nothing, now all of a sudden it's 13.7 billion years ago, but it's effectively the same cosmological problem and the same absurdity that you're assuming that something can come from nothing and that, Outside of this, the everything that we acknowledge it could ever be, which is like this whole contained universe with limits, outside of those limits is nothing. So you have something being contained by nothing, bounded by nothing, and that nothing is infinite. While that, that something, which is like everything, is finite and limited to this very like specific thing, which means that we're really not much of me. Like we don't really, nothing really means much morally or anything when you compare that the majority of existence is nothingness, right? Outside of the universe and before the universe in time. And then even within the universe, we're told, yeah, like 95% of it is the stuff called dark matter and dark energy, which um, 
fills up all of the space between galaxies. That's the majority of, of substance within the galaxy is this dark nothingness that can by its own nature never be examined, explored. Um, it's literally just something that they made up as a, a, a fudging of the data, as a fix to try to explain why it is that their mathematical equations break down when they were looking at galaxies that have a certain mass and distance they presume from the point of observation. And they're like, according to the math we're using uh, and the rate of, of so-called uh, spin of, of these other galaxies that we assume exists, uh, our math presumes that the galaxy should all like sort of fall apart um, according to these variables. So what right, could account right. for why the galaxy coheres? Well, let's make up this stuff called antimatter. And it's yeah. pushes and it's everywhere around the galaxy. And there's just enough it to like basically make our mathematics our mathematics function. Correct. But then the problem is like, well, even within it, there's like within the galaxy, there's there's not enough um um counterbalance to keeping all of that from just collapsing or outwards still, despite all of that. And they, then they say, Well, let's just put a, a black hole in the center of the galaxy. So it, despite the fact that you could see hundreds of pictures of other galaxies, these beautiful safer spiral galaxies with like ejections of some unknown material from either direction up and up and down. There's all of these things where material is being ejected. Yet we are told that inside of every galaxy, there is this center of nothing that it's so heavy that it just sucks everything, including light into it. It's that heavy. Yep. And again, but then how are, how do you have these these material and and light ejections from the center of galaxies when you hold that that's the definition of what is at the center of the galaxies so you have these black holes that we can't examine by their nature we have inside each galaxy we have 95% of the volume of of the universe itself is this dark matter uh to keep the the the, the galaxies in place according to our math to, to, so we're doing all of the we're making up all of these entities to make our math work rather than just acknowledge that our mathematical language is absurd and we need a better language with better concepts that are more befitting to the type of plasma, electrical, harmonic universe of creative change and growth and perfectibility and morality that actually seems to be shaping the fabric of space-time. You need a mathematics that can actually reflect some of those principles instead of this crap that we're, we're still being told we have to worship. Uh, by the modern high priests who are masquerading as as scientists, but they're not, exactly. and who are denying that people like like uh, Frank um, Hoogerbeats, I can never get his name, <laughs> uh, denying that he's actually that what he's doing is is being done. They're just denying. It. They're pretending it doesn't exist, or they're attacking. Exactly. And um, I think Russia and China are are the only countries, along with India, who are not rejecting this way of thinking about science and economic practice. And I think any big discoveries that are going to be happening and they will be happening is going to be increasingly driven by the type of, of better approach to a healthy way of thinking about economics and, and, and science that we see from China, Russia, India, and their growing allies. Yeah. So, so I, the, so the civilizational powers will go back to their historical roles on the planet, which are the leading areas of thought in in, in 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 terms of uh, thought, philosophy, industry, and finance, yeah, economics, amen. But we'll have this, and so this is what the Western man is left with, Matthew. And I think this is a great way to close out the show. This is a quote from uh, uh, Leah Halperin, and which way, Western man? Oh no! Oh no! Which way? Uh, 
This this is Sam Smith, Grammy winning. This is the guy who dressed up as Satan dancing in the, uh, uh, what is it, the Emmy Awards, right? And in this particular music video, he simulates being peed on by other men. Oh, no. So progressive. Or this guy who's falsely accused of human trafficking, guilty of waking up millions of men across the world. This is where we are. Which way, Western man? Yeah. Enough said. Yeah. <sighs> and with that being said, Matt, we're at the end of the show. <laughs> right. Folks, you got to get Matthew Eretz books. Okay. A treasure trove. A treasure trove of information. Okay. And you can get his books by going to... What are you doing? You're showing us your wing? Oh, yeah. Your camera's all out of focus. Yeah, my camera's all messed up. I'm trying to get it to readjust my my oily forehead here so that it usually there just fixes go. it but it's not doing it this time so whatever that's, okay that's all good you can get his books over at go to the risingtidefoundation.net risingtidefoundation.net as well as canadianpatriot.org canadianpatriot.org as well as his substack you can subscribe over there at substack.com forward slash matthew Eret. the links are all in the description box so make sure you guys go check it out and with that being said thank you all for listening in we'll be back tomorrow matt that was an amazing show. We need to forward this on, pass this on, subscribe, like, comment, and share with as many people as possible. With that being said, we're over and out. Take it away. Oh, CJ's not here. Take it away myself. <laughs> <All right>. Bye. <laughs>